developing leadership and recognizing that it is in fact a behavior and not a title helps to build ownership of the process and allegiance to the organization's missions, right? And, and as a result, leadership happens at every level of the organization. So setting expectations high is really important because we know if you have the support for employees and you have the coaching for employees, if you set those expectations high, the majority of, of staff are going to not just meet them, but exceed them. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results. And they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. As we get ready for our virtual conference, What's Right in Education, on November 17th and 18th, some of our presenters will be joining me on this podcast to help you get to know them better. To learn more about our virtual leadership conference, What's Right in Education, visit studereducation.com slash events. Joining us on our show today are two of our presenters, Superintendent of Schools, Dr. Chris Hartley, and Assistant Superintendent, Dr. Colby Smart, from Humboldt County Office of Education in Northern California. Chris has held many roles in education as a teacher and an administrator at both the site and district levels. He became superintendent of Northern Humboldt Union High School District in 2013 and was appointed as Humboldt County Superintendent of Schools in 2017. Colby has worked in Humboldt County Schools since 2012 with experiences in educational technology and curriculum and instruction and became assistant superintendent of educational services in 2019. Humboldt County Schools is a unique organization advocating on the needs of local students and expanding learning opportunities and support in local school districts. Today, Chris and Colby share something about their services that they provide and overcoming the challenges of designing a rural leader network to build capacity to improve. I look forward to this today. So it's so excited today to welcome to our show, Chris and Colby, and you heard a little bit about them uh, prior to my introduction here. So Chris and Colby, welcome to our show today. Thanks, Thank Janet. You. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So Chris, let's start out. I gave a little bit of an introduction to you all, but would love to hear from your voice about your community and the services of the Humboldt County Office of Education and what you all provide. Yeah, absolutely. Humboldt County is in the far, far northwest portion of the state of California. So it's kind of ironic. Sometimes people say, you know, Sacramento's in Northern California or Sonoma or San Francisco. We're a five-hour drive from San Francisco north. And so we're, we're up here basically on the Oregon border in just beautiful country. We're, we are in a very, very special place with redwood trees and the ocean right there. But, that, but there's a reason, you know, we're a very rural context. Um, so they call it the Redwood Curtain. So we are up behind the Redwood Curtain, as, as people <laughs> like to reference. So our county um, is large geographically, but population-wise, Janet, we're like about 18,000 students. Mm. What's really interesting, though, is with those students, we have 31 separate school districts. Wow. Each, yeah, each with their own school boards and all the procedures and practices and policies that go with that. Our smallest school district, and people have a hard time guessing this, is nine students right now. Oh, my gosh. And that's in the tiny community <laughs> of Maple Creek. And what happens is those small districts, are they are the hub of those little communities. So that's where they park the fire truck, right? That's where they have the community yeah. utilities meeting. 
that's where they gather. Those schools are the site for those communities out there in the remote country. Our largest district is in Eureka and it's around 35, I think 3,500 students and Eureka would be considered our largest town. Um, and that's where the county office sits. So that gives you a sense right there of who we serve, right? We have this huge obligation to meet the needs of all these various sized districts. And when you have a small district, you have this great position called the superintendent principal. And that person does everything. And so we have those, those type of folks that the county office is a huge source of support and resource for. Whereas our larger districts, they've got more capacity. They have a superintendent, an assistant suit, principals, totally different games. So our number one mandate in California for county offices is to provide fiscal support and oversight. That's like our, our state mandate. Second to that is to manage teacher credentials and help folks make sure that they've got the right and the proper credentialing and we're a big branch between districts in the state of California. Outside of that, we do so many things. I was thinking about this question. I was like, oh my gosh, how do I winnow it down? But I'll just hit some of the high notes. Uh, professional development, curriculum support, as you can imagine, is massive. Yes. Um, we do a lot around early education and early intervention services. Our partnerships with First Five, we have a zero through eight collaborative. Um, we do an incredible amount of work there. Special education. You can imagine we do things like underwrite positions. So like I'll employ psychologists who go out and serve the small districts because they're just not large enough to have their own psychologist. Mm. So we do that for psychologists, speech language, occupational therapists, and even nursing. Um, and we provide a lot of special ed support for our highest need students in that population where we run specific schools that districts will send their students to us so that we can serve and meet their IEP goals. Outside of that, we do really exciting things like a lot of career technical education support for our high schools. We bridge between businesses and schools to show students that there's many pathways out of high school and try to make those partnerships happen. We also run the court and community schools. So for students who are most at risk and have not made it successfully in the traditional model, we bring them on and we get them through high school and graduated and on to their next life, their life path. A new role for us that's increasingly important is an enormous liaison between schools and public agencies. When you're small and rural, I think really anywhere you're at, you, you can't do this work alone. And so we have really jumped in to fill the void of, hey, let's get our interagency partnerships going and talk the same language and support each other so we're not just doing the same work in our own silos. We do a lot of that nowadays. And because of our um, ruralness, a lot of our families, for a variety of different reasons, face an incredible amount of trauma. We have the highest rates of trauma out of a lot of counties in the state, and that's, that's supported with pretty good research. And so we've invested in a prevention and intervention team, really focusing on utilizing multi-tiered systems of support, MTSS, and helping districts build their own capacity to approach how they serve their students in different ways. Outside of that, the last two things is we convene people all the time. You know, we find niches to help bring people together. And we do an incredible amount of advocacy at the regional and state level so that the state folks making decisions understand Humboldt County, understand what our needs are and what the resources are that we need to get. And so we, we want to be first in line uh, when people are thinking about, you know, decisions that impact us. And so there's a snapshot. That's um, great, Chris. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's great. Coming. 
mean, very, very helpful. And I really, you know, I appreciate um, my learnings on the California model and, you know, learning from Humboldt and other areas that we work with. But, you know, just I really like the model that you all have a lot because I think you really are looking at education as a holistic service provider in so many ways. So with that, Colby, you know, I know you probably face some challenges to support the network agencies. So, you know, just curious with what those challenges are. Yeah, thank you, Janet. Um, and Dr. Hartley did a great job setting the context. And just add a couple things. Um, you know, we all know that California is the most populous state in the country. We've got about 6.3 million school-aged children in the state. About 5% of those uh, students, about a little over 330,000 students, are what you'd consider rural. Now, just to give you a little bit more context about Humboldt County, you could put the states of Rhode Island and Delaware inside Humboldt oh, County. Gosh. <laughs> and so geography plays a constant role in how we do things. Um, in addition, you know, like a lot of the country, rural America has been shifting its resource-based economies over to uh, more service-based economies. And if we were to rewind those 31 school districts that we have now, if we were to rewind back to the year 1900, we had over 100 different school districts right in our county, most of them small and rural. You can imagine that. And that goes to the fact that these rural school districts support the communities that they serve and they're defined by them. So particular challenge that's faced with small rural schools is a lot of them have a diseconomy of scale. Much larger school districts can sort of spread out and scale the cost of educating students and also providing staff and other services. In small rural districts, there's a diseconomy to scale. So it's actually a little bit much more expensive in some cases to uh, educate a student than in larger districts. So that also results in challenges around access to specialized services. Just unlike in larger districts, students need access to you know, occupational therapy, speech therapy, so on and so forth, it's, it's much more difficult to find and attract people who are qualified to do those specialized services. So all of these dynamics play into the development of the rural networks that we support and that we create. One of the benefit of all of those challenges, and this can't be uh, overlooked, is that it does result in a high degree of innovation and creativity and collaboration. And so one example, a few years back, we started the California Rural Superintendent Principal Academy. Mm. And that academy was designed to support the unique needs of rural educational leaders. Dr. Hartley mentioned superintendent principals. That's their title. But in actuality, a lot of them are also the bus driver, yeah. um, do after school <laughs> and all sorts of things. So you can imagine there's unique challenges that go along with that. And so when designing and supporting these kinds of rural networks, those are some of the challenges that we uh, address and take into consideration. Yeah, so significant in terms of what you all do. And uh, again, such a transfer of learning of a, of a good model on how we can probably transfer that a across the country in so many ways. So one of the things, you know, Chris, that you all have been, been doing is, and we all have, is how do you create safe reopening of schools and support the district leaders? So what in particular have you all been doing to, to do that over the last several months? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, the first thing is helping our 31 district leaders find ways to come together where we can have a safe and a welcome space to explore all ideas. 
and that takes a bit of doing, but, but fostering that environment, you can imagine with, with leaders from all these different programs, you know, you have to be mindful of that. And I don't think you can just assume that you're going to, and then here we are doing it in a zoom world, right? So there's another yeah. challenge. I remember the last time we all got together, all the superintendents plus some of their support teams was back in March. Mm. And that meeting was rich and thick with intensity and we had the first time public health was in the room with all the school leaders. There was an enormous amount of anxiousness and some fear and questions and woo, passion. You name it, we had it in there. And Colby, I remember that meeting like Dude. it'll always be in my career memories. <laughs> yeah. And and walking away going, we've got to do some work and really help help people be comfortable having intense conversations and not feel isolated and alone. And so I think that that setting the stage way back when was something um, we did with a lot of intent. Outside of that, also recognizing in our counties, uh, rural communities are tenacious communities, right? So Colby's story, 100 districts, Colby, that's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. But, but that spirit is still here, right? And so we can harness that. So not looking past those incredible strengths of people being resilient, we're used to doing things on our own. We're used to picking up, you know, our bootstraps and figuring it out. We're used to doing more with less. And so harnessing all of those traits, obviously, is a, is a continued um, part of our effort. But outside of that, you know, there is some real low-hanging fruit. We had to bridge our partnerships with public health. Public health suddenly is thrust into this incredibly important role, something kind of unique for them, to be quite honest with you. You know, we've had our different scares and our different situations, but nothing to this level. And they had no idea how schools worked. So we were on two different planets just with regards to what is it? Dis- like they kept saying, Chris, why don't you just make these decisions? I'm like, listen, folks, I'm just, we're here to serve as a county superintendent. I don't have authority. So we had to build that partnership with public health, build that partnership between public health and district and build trust. And that's ongoing. And, and that partnership has been critical. Outside of that, we really got focused on what are the tenements, what are the key components of this? And Colby just did a fantastic job facilitating this work with our districts. He is a skilled facilitator. And so the other part is really finding the right people to do the right work. And so having Colby come in and we facilitated groups around three things, health and safety, of course, teaching and learning, and resources and finance. And we realized real fast that you can't make any moves forward unless you're looking at all three of those buckets at the same time. And we brought together key leaders throughout the community in those teams and facilitated brainstorming discussions and created a road to recovery framework. And it's actually a beautiful document. We'll send it to you. It's got a beautiful picture of the Redwoods and it's visually appealing, but it represents a playbook of how to move forward in case the district was stuck or they just needed a reference. And quite honestly, Colby and I pull that sucker out all the time and and go, we have this framework. We probably should check on how we're doing with it. Outside of that, Janet, just good learning networks, frequent communications, frequent meetings. We were meeting weekly with our superintendents and charter school leaders and really whoever wanted to show up. And it was their meeting. It's their agenda. We try to let them drive as much as possible. And we're starting to be able to back off of the frequency of that. But, you know, it ebbs and flows. And so the other part would be to provide a safe reopening is being super flexible. And then the last thing I would say that I mentioned earlier is advocating advocating with the key leaders at the state level to be making decisions and providing us the resources we need to serve our students because they, we can't assume they're going to do that. And so for instance, uh, we just received a beautiful contribution from PG&E for a half a million dollars to serve us by providing um, 1800 Chromebooks for students in Humboldt County because technology 
is an equity issue for us. And so, you know, with regards to infrastructure, but also just having devices. So all of those things come together, right? As yeah. the planning of what we've done, but we still have a lot of work in front of us. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's one of the things I've heard, you know, Chris and Colby is, you know, that partnerships that have been established, you know, this has forced us in a probably a good way to establish those partnerships. So we'll probably continue those. Do you have that same feeling like this is not something we just did and we'll put a period on it, but we've really built relationships that will continue. Does that resonate with you? A hundred percent, you know, and we, we often talk about the things that we're doing and learning and applying during this time period and how important it is to carry forward those effective practices and not just go back to, to the way we used to do business. Yeah, that's I know great. we're going to be super thoughtful about charting those out and making sure they're in our, in our planning and in our practices. Yeah, that's nice. Colby, so how do you help your agencies build the capacity for leadership improvement? I mean, as we think about what we've gone through, we need the best leaders, right? So how, yes. do, we, how do we build that capacity for that improvement within leadership? And Jenny, you know, um, I think the first step in any organization is to recognize and define leadership as a behavior and it's not a title, mm-hmm. right? And, and as a result, leadership happens at every level of the organization. I mentioned earlier this small superintendent principal who also happens to be the bus driver. In particular, those very small organizations where there's lots of folks who are wearing many, many hats developing leadership and recognizing that it is in fact a behavior and not a title helps to build ownership of the process and allegiance to the organization's missions. And I would also say that it's really important to identify and recognize the core values of the organization. So for example, the Humboldt County Office of Education, our core values, things that we stress in every employer, trust, respect, and collaboration. So once you identify those, we know it's important to just celebrate the heck out of those things when you see them, recognize them through gratitude, through recognition, and those sorts of things, because it reinforces what Dr. Pat Greco calls what right looks like. Mm -hmm. And um, finally, aligning behaviors and trying to hardwire those always actions. So setting expectations high is really important because we know If you have the support for employees and you have the coaching for employees, if you set those expectations high, the majority of of staff are going to not just meet them, but exceed them. And the last thing I'll mention is finding ways to cascade information in a transparent and very intentional way. And again, I'll just leave, leave you with that. Catching people when you catch them living the values, it's important to celebrate that. So just to give you a quick example, I mentioned CRISPA, the California Rural Superintendent Principal Academy. We've recognized recently that to truly develop leadership in an organization is not enough to focus on one person. So we've pivoted and started um, developing a program to support district team leadership, where many of the tenets of evidence-based leadership are really taught intentionally and allowed to permeate through the, uh, through the partner organizations. Great. So they're able to network and connect with each other. I mean, you're just building kind of that network and teaming them so that they can have those engaged conversations with each other. Is that right? That's absolutely right. And, you know, as, as evidence of the importance of the, developing those networks, the first cohort of that Rural Superintendent Principal Academy happened three years ago. And just a simple thing like setting up a Google group thread, mm-hmm. that now that there's a statewide network of superintendent principals with very unique challenges, all day long, they're asking each other questions. Wonderful. They send an email out 
and then 50, 60 people will respond with uh, their answers of what they did in a particular situation. So. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's, a, I mean, su- such a gift for them to be able to rely on each other. And, and as you all are working on continuous improvement and continuously improving to achieve excellence and continuing with your excellence, you know, what advice would you leave your, your fellow superintendents, your colleagues today? Oh, great. So, um, you know, it's constantly evolving our own, our own professional and personal development, right? So the thoughts I have around this today are, are different than they were a year ago. So I think first thing is be flexible and be an independent learner for yourself and constantly challenge yourself as a professional to ascribe to different philosophies and, and learn, right? If we're not learning, then how can we possibly lead others in, into doing the same? And I think one of those kind of key realizations, which is odd to say because it makes so much sense, is that an organization doesn't improve until the people within it do. Yeah. And, you know, you could say organization, we get kind of lost in the terms. It's like, how do we improve this organization? Well, we need to look at the folks that are running it and that are involved in it. And that would be the second part. Who are those folks? The leaders, as a superintendent, I'm in the very small, small minority. We're not talking about myself or Colby. We're talking about the bulk of the organization. What are all those key positions and those key people that are doing the good work every day? And how are we helping and supporting them to grow and to learn and to improve? And how do they know what improvement even looks like? How do they know what their job um, the critical aspects are if we're not having those conversations with them, with them and learning from them. So along those lines, realizing the power of the people in the organization, the power of getting their feedback, and the power of doing something with it. And you can do stuff with it by doing simple things like talking about what your core organizational values are. Colby already mentioned those. You can talk about what kind of culture do we want to have? And more importantly, what are the behaviors of all of us that support that culture And can we agree that when we come into this space, we're going to align those behaviors and that when we're not doing that, we're going to have a way of dealing with it that's respectful and kind and not not based on fear. I think that goes with that is you have to empower and trust, clear expectations, again, opportunity for folks to give their feedback and with absence of fear and to feel comfortable taking risks. And this one for me has been really important for many years, and that is to work independently and not be dependent on the organization for what it is you're supposed to do next. Outside of that, you know, I think it's just, again, the, the constant understanding that we're in the relationship business. We, you just asked us, like, how do we respond to this COVID crisis? Well, the first response is building those relationships with new people. And within our organization, it's the same thing. How do we take in new employees? How do we um, assess how we're doing with new employees as they come in and like with the studer practices of 30 to 60, 90 day check-ins. I love that stuff. So just simple, practical things around how do you communicate? Colby mentioned gratitude. How are we showing that? How are we checking in through processes like rounding? And how are we taking feedback and, and demonstrating that we're doing something with that feedback to the folks that we work with? So there's another group that I learned, you know, the developing relationship capacity, you know, is ongoing. And um, I think those, those to me are the, are the key, key tenants, Janet, to, to the work that we're up to right now. And they help us get through these crisis times that we're in. 
You bet. Such great advice, Chris. And you know, one of the things I, I built a slide one time and I just thought the first thing I put on a diagram was people first. You know, yep. I mean, before we can get anything else accomplished, we really have to think about our people first. And you gave very specific examples on how we how we do that. Chris, thank you for your time today. Colby, thank you. Just really admire the work that you're doing in Humboldt. And I can't wait to where I can get in a plane and come there and actually be in your community and see it. You know, that I'm just longing for those days, but uh, but I can see it in my mind and hear it from, from your heart and your minds. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Janet. Thank you very much. I appreciate the conversation that I had with Chris and Colby today. I have a special place in my heart for rural area school districts. I believe they're just such a backbone of our country and what we believe in each and every day. And they sure have created a model with care, concern, service, and quality that just is outstanding. And I know we can all learn from them and connect to each other and learn from each other. And so to do that, we have this opportunity coming up on November 17th and 18th called What's Right in Education. It's a virtual conference where we will share our partners and the partner work like that of Humboldt. So please join us at What's Right in Education. And to get there, go to tutoreducation.com slash events. As always, I thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please share the podcast and make sure you're subscribed. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week.